Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Greetings, listeners, and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your update on how to end the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. Our hosts today are Sean Stefanik and me, Libby Edwards. Coming up on the show today, our In Memoriam, Gun Violence Prevention News, and an interview with Patricia Oliver of Change the Ref. But first, our In Memoriam. In remembrance of Amir Joliff, 11 years old, and Dan Marburger, January 4th, 2024, Perry, Iowa. On January 4th, the second school shooting of 2024 took place in Perry, Iowa, a small town with a population of about 8,000. The school district has about 1,800 total students with about 575 in grades 9 through 12. That Thursday morning, Amir Joliff dashed out of his home eager to see his friends on the first day back to school after winter break. Amir's mother, Erica Joliffe, said that her son couldn't wait to get to school and left minutes ahead of her and his sister, who was in the ninth grade. At approximately 7.30 a.m., a teenage student armed with a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun opened fire. Instead of greeting their friends, students fled in panic, ducking into classrooms or barricading themselves in offices. When authorities sped into town and blocked access to the complex after the shooting, she found her daughter unharmed, but she couldn't find Amia. I just had a feeling he was still in that building, she said. Zoe Batista, a sixth grader and friend of Amia, shared with reporters, he was my best friend, Zoe said. He was always there for everybody. Erica Joliffe remembered her son as a font of happiness and sociability who seemingly knew everyone in town and whose ample dimples were constantly lit up by a perpetual grin. Five students and three staff members were injured before the shooter died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. School principal Dan Marburger approached the shooter and spoke to him in an attempt to calm him down and distract him before he himself was shot multiple times, an action credited with allowing students to escape. Dan Marburger was hospitalized and died of his wounds 10 days later. Iowa has moved towards looser gun laws in recent years. The gunman in Perry was armed with a pump-action shotgun and a small-caliber handgun, the police said, as well as an improvised explosive. At the time of the shooting, Governor Reynolds said, it's impossible to understand why anything like this happens, but again, I want you to know that we'll work tirelessly to get the answers so that we can prevent it from happening again. Ironically, it was Governor Reynolds who in 2021 signed into law a bill that allows Iowa residents to buy and carry handguns without a permit. Amir Joliffe and Dan Marburger, we remember you. You're listening to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Gun Show. You can hear us on any podcast platform. We want to hear from you. Subscribe and leave a message after you listen. Tell us what you love about Radio Gag or what really makes you gag about gun violence. We also 
urge you to get involved by joining a gun violence prevention group. And remember, you can vote out gun violence in our country. Now, the GVP News. On January 18th, the Department of Justice issued its Critical Incident Review, a 610-page report that exposed the complete failure of leadership and preparedness that led to 19 children and two teachers losing their lives at Robb Elementary School in Uvalde, Texas. On Lawrence O'Donnell's MSNBC program, The Last Word, Josh Kosoff, an attorney for many Uvalde families, noted that heavily armed law enforcement officers waited outside for 77 minutes because they were afraid to confront a five-foot-six teenager who was wielding an AR-15. Roland Gutierrez, the Texas state representative for Uvalde, spoke these words. This is the worst law enforcement response to a school shooting in our nation's history, but today's report did put this in black and white to exemplify and justify everything that we've been talking about. I've seen all the body cams because I needed to see what went wrong, and over and over again, cops said, there's an AR-15 in there, there's an AR-15. That refrain went on and culminated in one policeman saying, I don't want to get clapped out today, I don't want to die. These kids didn't want to die either. They deserve so much more from law enforcement, and they also deserve so much more from politicians, cowardly politicians in Washington and Austin, who refuse to do anything on this issue. Cowardly politicians like Ted Cruz and others who refuse to see the dead bodies that I'll never forget, images that I wake up to when I go to bed. They are terrified of the AR-15. This weapon is a dangerous weapon. It creates a damage like you can't imagine. Well, we have all heard that the bodies of many Uvalde children killed by the AR-15 were so damaged that they had to be identified by their clothing or their DNA. This cannot continue. Gays Against Guns and virtually the entire gun violence prevention movement has been calling for a national ban on the AR-15 rifle. Please consider joining a GVP organization such as Every Town for Gun Safety, Moms Demand Action, Students Demand Action, Gun Sense Action Network, and Change the Ref, and of course, Gays Against Guns, to put pressure on our politicians to enact sensible gun laws. And please go to the link on Radio Gag's podcast homepage to listen to the full and very powerful commentary quoted here. January 22nd to the 26th, 2024 is the sixth annual National Gun Violence Survivors Week. During this time, survivors share their stories of how gun violence altered their lives and how they live every day with the aftermath of the trauma. According to everytown.org, every day at least 120 people are shot and killed. More than 200 are shot and wounded, and countless others experience the collective trauma of gun violence. During its sixth year, National Gun Violence Survivors Week will highlight the role of survivors known as changemakers who are leading efforts to end gun violence by activism within their community. Our guest today is one of those survivors, Patricia Oliver. 
the mother of Joaquin Oliver, also known as Guac, who was one of the 17 people killed in the mass shooting at the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, in 2018 on Valentine's Day. Since that day, Patricia and Joaquin's father, Manuel, or Manny, as he is popularly known, have been committed to making sure the lives of their son and other victims are never forgotten. Patricia and Manny have worked tirelessly to enforce solutions that are essential to healing the lifelong grief experienced by the families of mass shooting victims. Their organization, Change the Ref, works to empower young people to get involved, fight for their values, and have their voices heard. Welcome, Patricia. Thank you so much, Lydia and Sean, for having me tonight. Oh, we're delighted Absolutely. and honored. Thank you. I believe everyone understands that when a loved one is murdered, it changes everyone's life. Can you give us a picture of the life you and Manny were leading before Joaquin's death and how this unthinkable incident altered your lives? Well, yes. Yes, we're about to be in our sixth year living without Joaquin. I don't like it to call anniversary because, you know, usually anniversaries are uh, moments of celebration. Celebrating positive things. This is a celebration of, you know, an, a big and deep absence like Joaquin means to us. Our kids our son, our, you know, my sunshine, as I call him. Um, and yes, our life totally changed. It's a before and after, as I called it. I also, I mentioned it before with different friends when we were talking about different things about when I talk about previous 2018, it's my other life. When, when I used to have my other life, things were in certain way. So, I can tell you that our life before 2018 was a regular life like any other family could have. We have our regular jobs. I work very far from here, from home, like 50 miles away from home. So I drove every day from Monday through Friday. I used to travel overseas at least once a month. And Manuel was uh, working with his, um, as a creative director of um, musician a blues singer, um, he was pretty close from here. So he he was working like 20, no, not even 20, but maybe 12 miles away from here. So between the two of us, we were doing arrangements where we need to do it because Joaquin was still the youngest. Uh, and Joaquin was playing three different sports. Uh, Joaquin has to go to somewhere's house or Joaquin needs to go somewhere to get something for his school the day after. So we were the ones who were planning how to get that things done. Andrea, our daughter, is eight years older. So, well, she was, of course, more independent. Mm -hmm. So we used to have, we, we used to be a regular life with, you know, we, we love a lot to have our moments together during the end of the day. That was the day that we were all together back from our activities, from our jobs. And it was really peculiar, I could tell you, because we used to have these conversations or Manuel with Joaquin or me, Andrea and Joaquin, when we used to take showers. 
So in that moment, we were, you know, accompanying the order. And no, don't go, mommy. Don't go. Don't go. Stay with me. I, I can tell you X thing that happened, you know, today. Okay. So it was a really nice moment to have. And we were very confident and we were, you know, I, what I like it about our relationship with the kids is that they feel comfortable talking in whatever way or whatever happened to them good or bad, if it was something bad at school, they feel confident that they could come to us and they could tell us whatever happened and we can, we're not gonna ba go back and you know, be, you're know you gonna be grounded because of that because if he right. was already grounded at school, why I'm gonna be re-grounded him or her? <laughs> so that was something that, okay, Jason already said, you, you were punished, I hope that you learn from here and then you will, you will decide if you wanna keep doing it or not. Because everything we do in life has consequences. So we really enjoy a lot having conversations, getting together. They used to um, teasing me about my, my accent, about the way I walk, about the way I dance. And I, you know, I let everyone here. If, if I'm the one, you know, okay, I got it. I get it. Take it. We weren't anything special. We were just family. For example, there's one thing that I can tell you that it was very personal between Joaquin and I. Every time that they were, he was coming from school, he, he had to call me to my office and let me know that he was home. But sometimes I, you know, they give them lunch, but the lunch, it could be like brunch. It could be by noon. At the time that he got home was almost four o'clock and I had him his lunch ready just to heat it up or to finish to 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 you know to finish him cooking whatever it was there. So he used to call me and say, Well mommy, I'm home. So now you let me this um steak here. So now now what? What should I do? <laughs> and I explained to him, okay, so turn on the, you know, the the burner, you gotta put the pan, you gotta look at, you know, flash spray of olive, olive oil and then you're going to put your hand on top of the pan where you feel that it's hot in there so you're going to put the steak so we were cooking together even though that I was working that was a, a little connection that we have during the day from far but we were still there That's so and because sometimes he, he doubted like what I'm going to eat I mean uh, he sometimes could be calling me and say should I have a donut or should I have a croissant I said you feel like sweet? No. Okay, so get the croissant. So little things that you know that fills your heart that do that, that you feel that you are still mommy and they depend on you. Right. And that's the same picture that I was having of him being in college and calling me, okay, mommy, I have to do laundry. He never did laundry here. So <laughs> okay, what? What I'm gonna be displaying everything. So I I got this kind of um thoughts about how will be that happening and those you know first days or month the adaptation of that second phase of his life right. so really um I always thought during that uh, at the beginning of the senior year that was his last season playing basketball um we have everything is very close from here uh, the field that he used to play baseball is very close from here and I remember passing by with my mom in the car and say, oh my God, I, you know, it makes me homesick. 
seeing the field that so many years uh, spending here for Joaquin because Joaquin was the one who was playing sports that he make us have such a wonderful moments, exciting moments. So we were very busy and because of him and the fact that he liked those sports, he put us in that position for years and years. He started playing sports since he was seven. And I was just at that moment that it was all easy and normal thinking about already missing those moments. Then happened what it happened, February 14, 2018. When that happened, when the killings happened, did your work lives change completely? Uh, obviously, they would have for a while, or at least I would suspect that they did. Were you able to return to work? Or uh, obviously, your daughter must have been deeply affected from before and after. How did you? How did you and Manny and Andrea stay? together you're not not so much stay together but how did you work the, the process yes and where did did the school or the government or anyone provide help for you or you know how did that work or were you just left on your own no no not at all um starting from the beginning of the questions um i used to work and I had already, I think it were like six years working for the company. That was a company that you, I, they used to be brokers of paperwork for Latin America. So everything that goes in a package, we were selling all the carton board for that, different kind of uh, grammage. And we used to work with the, with the beer companies, mm -hmm. the breweries and well, I used to travel a lot, at least at least once a month somewhere in Latin America. Yeah, that changed completely since that day. I think that I went back to work after a month or maybe a month and a half. I, I really, at that moment of my life, I badly recall because I was in a different space. I didn't understand what was going on. I really was like numb. That's what I can remember about me. Be sitting on the sofa, just having someone grabbing me tea, and just seeing people coming in and out, in and out, and bringing food, and you know, taking care of us. Uh, our relationship, um, well, we were together, and there I was very mad, very upset. I remember Andrea staying inside her room, Family members came, they were staying with her, her friends were staying there, but she didn't, she didn't want to speak to anyone. She want to be there with us, mm -hmm. but you know, because it was a national tragedy, it, the, the way that I think it went through is totally different on a regular loss to gun violence because maybe you, it's just one person that is lost in that moment, that is your son and nobody knows and nobody cares and nobody knows because nobody pay attention to that. And that makes it more isolated. 
But in our case, it was a national news all over. So we need to deal with situations that we never ever were in that position before. We were dealing with people coming with cameras and interviews. We have a friend who offered us to be the, you know, the middle person that was dealing with them. I remember one of the reporters, they, we, I, I remember that I got that phone call. They, they find a way to get your phone number. I got the phone call, I grabbed the phone and I gave it to my friend. And he said to him, okay, this is a moment that is not convenient for you to be here because they're not doing, you know, they're not in the moment to giving anybody any interview. He didn't, he didn't care. He just came by and he came through, you know, between friends because that was an open gate. We live in a gated community. And well, they decided to give us open gated because they were opening the gates all day long. So they, everyone could come. And these guys, from one of the main networks, even we, we said to him, do not go that day. Let's talk about a different day, but this is not the day he came by and we need to take it out. We need to kick it off the house. Mm. So those moments are really stressful. You don't understand why you're doing that. You don't understand why you're in that position. You don't understand that you're going through that, but you really, don't have fucking here. So you gotta accept the fact that that is going on, that it's not easy. And for Andrea was really shocking because besides all the, the tragedy, uh, and, and she's very tough. She has a very strong personality. She's very tough and she can tell you, I don't want you to be talking to you, I, I don't care. Can I hug you? No, <laughs> simple and clear. She's that kind of girl. So I think that she was taking all that anger. And it was a moment that because we were just surrounded by family members, by friends, by, every, by everyone, even people that maybe my neighbors, I never stopped by during all these years. We've been here for 16 years, never stopped by. So they start coming by. And, you know, they were meaning well, but they, you don't get it. You don't get it. You don't, you don't understand. So for us, that was very shocking for us as a family. Manuel and I and Andrea, we were always very together, but Andrea, every time she has a chance to be isolated in her room, that was her way to grief. Right. Um, and for us, well, you, I started going back to work after a month and a half, let's say that. And I told my boss that we were traveling, that the plan was to be traveling because that was what was, um, I, I don't want to say the purpose because you don't have a purpose. You don't know what's going on. But at the beginning, since Manuel had this um, speech that went viral, everybody started noticing that this family, you know, is, is willing to talk. And then the march came. And after the march, I think I went back to work. So we're talking about a little more than maybe two months. Was this so, the march for our lives? That yeah, was the march for our lives. That was March 24th. Yes. Okay. So it was a little more than a month after what happened. So I think that's the when I decided to go back to work. 
And I did that for a year. I was just working, willing to work for a year because I was traveling a lot. Of course, I have co-workers. They were feeling that it wasn't fair that they were, I was, you know, getting a salary and I wasn't there. So, you know, those kind of rivalities that I didn't need it because, you know, I am handling for about something that is really, really deep and hurtful and it's impossible to replace it with anything else. So whatever you say, take it for you because you can you can you can make a difference if you want. If you don't agree with what I'm doing or what I feel like doing or what is meant to be as a mission, because that was a mission that I didn't I wasn't we weren't looking for anything to do like traveling and meeting other people and being in different interviews, trying to get into it. Trying to understand that now you are that personality that has to give your faith and help others to go through this when you're learning to go through this. Right. Because you, that's the beginning of Change the Ref. That's the beginning of Change the Ref. Oh, okay. So that soon. That quick. Yeah, that was very quick because um, Manuel has a group of friends that they are very close since they were in high school and they were surrounding us and they don't live here in Florida. They live everywhere. Mm -hmm. And they were here and we were thinking, how are we going to handle this? And well, they came with the idea that we need to found an organization. So uh, the name came after Joaquin because Joaquin was playing basketball uh. in that moment. So the night before he was playing basketball and uh, he was having issues with his coach because the coach, Joaquin was saying that the coach was saying the wrong calls. And that's why he <laughs> said that maybe that was something that he wasn't, uh, he was interested more in the other team than in his team. And that's why he was saying, you know, mm -hmm. giving him the wrong calls or calling faults when they were in faults. And from that idea, from that comment, Change the Ref came as a name. That's so interesting. I, <laughs> I never realized. Yeah. And the coach that made those calls knew that we could change the ref because of him. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we th that was in the middle of the championship. Uh -huh. So that was in the last season, almost about to go into the playoff. Mm -hmm. And they, of course, they suspended all the games. And they came back, I think, after three weeks. And after three weeks, of course, everybody was there. Manuel, accept, Manuel was the coach, and he accepted to be the coach, to still be the coach for them, because Joaquin formed that team asking Manuel to be the coach. But Manuel doesn't know anything about basketball. So it was so funny when he came <laughs> with that idea, and I said, okay, what are you going to do, tutorings on YouTube about how to be coaching a, baseball, a basketball team? So the plan was because he wanted all his friends to work to to play together because it was his last season because they were all seniors, and he planned all that because they go by rounds. So you can in this round you're gonna pick this kid. So he was getting getting instructions from Joaquin how to be to put every single kid together in the same team. Oh. <laughs> so it, it it was really beautiful. And all the idea, and then when we came back, um, Manuel said, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm willing to keep going because that was Joaquin's wishes. 
that we need to keep together. We need to win this championship. And that's how it happened. So we went back and that was the, the, the launching of Chainsaw Ref in a way because we already have the shirts. And of course the media, you know, was after every one of the parents and the media was there and that was covered. If you go online, you're gonna see it. Um, that was the comeback. And then the Heat, the Miami Heat, wanted to get involved because they knew that Joaquin wanted to be in the, you know, uh, was very fan of, of Dwayne Wade. And they recreated the final game as it was in their arena. Oh. everything they brought the cheerleaders they brought the security they brought everything one of two of the main coaches came to the game and that was a um, a beautiful gift for the other kids because it were mixed feelings every yes. time we have a game every time was really sad the the other the other team was feeling bad because they didn't want to win they didn't want to win because they feel that they were traitors mm -hmm. because what key wasn't there and they didn't want to get that feeling inside so a lot those emotions were coming every day was a different emotion that was hitting you more and hitting you more and putting you down and depressed and and you know and i, I felt that i was against the wall because you know you cannot escape for those moments that is saying to you, Hakeem is not here. So bringing our relationship more solid because we have each other to support the, those moments. Because maybe you were in a moment that you were strong and the other one was weak. And I was the one coming for the other and giving that hand or giving that shoulder and give me that hug in the moment that was needed. So mm -hmm. even though that we changed our life because it was a moment that I wasn't going anywhere, that we were 24 seven together, that was something absolutely new because in a regular family, everybody goes to work and they come back. So you spend like eight hours minimum away from each other and then you come back together and you share what was going on in your day. That wasn't happening anymore. And that's a process too. Yes. yes. And we've been consolidating our relationship and we've been growing in our relationship. And I understand why some families can move forward because it's very hard. Maybe one of the partners doesn't feel well, is very depressing or want to run away from that reality. And that, that's their way to deal with the grieving. Right. And I've been meeting families that they've been they got divorced because of that. They they don't ma they don't manage the grieving in a way that they can respect each other. Mm -hmm. They feel that they are ignoring each other or they don't you don't see what I see, you don't feel what I feel, you know, you compete with your feelings and that's not about competition. Because I am a mom, I know I, I cannot say that I feel more or less. I could never, I would never say that to Monchi, never. Mm -hmm. uh, because I am the mother, I know what it feels like. And you don't know that pain. No, he has his own pain and there has his her own pain. And Joaquin's friends have their own pain. So 
everybody here lost Joaquin in a different ways. And if you understand that, you can deal with that. So is that more or less how you would advise other families to approach it, to allow for the difference of grieving and to support each other's process? Yes, because it's totally different how you could process this. Maybe you start drinking. Maybe you start using drugs. Maybe you just want to run away and go to, a, I don't know, for a party. I don't know. Or maybe they will say, somebody will say to you, why are you going to a party? You're grieving. No, there's no good or bad. There's no right and wrong. You don't know. You really don't know who you are. You, are, you have to understand you first, because this is something that you were never ready to go through this. Never. You could always have a, a, a moment that you as a family could be talking about, how do you want to be buried? And maybe you could say, no, I, 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 I don't want to be buried. I just want to be, you know, I just want my ashes to be spent somewhere. You as a parent can say that to your kids. You will never ask that question in the opposite way. Never, never. Mm -hmm. That's not a conversation. Mm -hmm. So do you feel as though you have become more of who you all always have been or have you sort of gone way beyond what you thought, who you thought you were? La, uh, to me, life changed in a way that you see life in a different way. You, you don't care about so many things mm -hmm. that maybe were important or were uh, a priority. Before, I don't care. When I decided not to go to work anymore because my boss promises me that he would give me, you know, I was making salary plus commission, I would give me the commissions, I would give me the insurance, and then for, and I said, and I asked him the last year, if you change your mind, please tell me in advance to get ready, to get ready to prepare myself for that. Right. And when I got back to work, he didn't have anything for me and no check or nothing. And he didn't say anything to me. I said, you know what? I don't care. Yeah. So you will start not paying attention to things that you really can't solve. Right. The priorities in your life are totally different from before and after, at least for us. Okay. We take we take life easy when you can take it easy because you know you still live in a roller coaster you could say this is your sixth year maybe you could do better you could i can be more silly but i know i'm not doing better i cannot say i am happy i don't I, I, that word is hard to say it's, it's huge today to say but i'm doing well that I can smile more than before? Yes. That I don't have the whole time my sad eyes? Yes. But this is all about time. You learn, you understand every day how to deal with this and how is your entourage, how I, we met you guys. You know, you start getting connection and you start getting comfortable with with groups 
that they you feel that you they really understand what you're going through without saying a word. It's just the connection that we have. And we, and I say we have because we know each other since the beginning. Yes. And we've been growing through all this time together. We've been transforming our life in different ways, but we've been growing. We're growing, we're growing, we're getting old, we're growing old, and we're learning, and we are understanding better, and we are, I don't know, I get always the word peace. When I get signals, I always get the word peace. And that's, I think, the process that you have to go through to get there. Well, I am just so grateful on behalf of all of us at GAG and Radio GAG that you took time to share this deeply personal experience with us and with our listeners. And oh, I'm so touched by everything you said. And our listeners should know that both Patricia and Manny will be on our next podcast <laughs> to discuss their lawsuit for survival. And I'm not going to say too much or ask Patricia to say too much about it, but uh, you must tune in to our next podcast and you will hear what Change the Ref is up to now. And it is bound to be something very newsworthy, I can guarantee it. Yes. And we have a lot of move besides our lawsuit that is going on. And we believe that this is a really important um, process that we introduce and we're gonna get something from there. But That's we cool. need to attack the issue of gun violence from different angles. Exactly. And this is this is an important one. Absolutely. Well, it's terrific. And as I say, we're going to look forward to hearing more about that in an upcoming podcast. And if listeners want to know more about Change the Ref, just go to the website, changetheref.org. And you will get history and commentary and lots of good information. Yes. So thank, thank you, you so again. Much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Tracy. No, thank you both for having me. We all are grateful to the people who have gone through these horrible experiences, who have taken it in and dealt with it and have responded through activism to help others. And you and Manny have certainly, certainly done that. And we are grateful. To find out more about working with us, please go to gazeagainstguns.net or follow us at Gaze Against Guns NY on Facebook and Instagram or Gag No Guns on X, Twitter. X, formerly known as Twitter. We meet once a month at the LGBTQ Center on 13th Street in Manhattan and on Zoom. Please email gagsignup at gmail.com and we'll provide you with a Zoom link and details for our next meeting, which is January 25th, this Thursday, January 25th at 7 o'clock p.m. Everybody is welcome at any and all gag meetings. That's our podcast for today. We'll be back again with some more, so stay tuned. Upcoming podcast topics include the lawsuit for survival and are you safer with a gun? And more on economic costs of gun violence. 
And don't forget, you can listen to our previous shows at any time on any major podcast platform. Our shows are also featured on BRIC, B-R-I-C, Brooklyn Free Speech Radio. Please subscribe to our podcast so you'll be notified when new ones drop. And now, we leave you with our fabulous singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. churches and congress making a choice between rightness and wrongness taking down tyrants who act like they're kings these are a few of my favorite things the right to gather and the first amendment choices i'd rather and thoughts independent getting a lawyer when i'm in a fight these are a few of my favorite rights when the laws bend, when the feds cheat, and I'm feeling mad, I simply remember the Constitution, and then I don't feel so bad. Marching around when I'm angry with Congress, shouting them down to make them keep their promise, going to school feeling safe day and night. These are a few of my favorite rights. When the news sucks, when the jerks win, and I'm feeling mad, I simply remember the Constitution, and then I don't feel so 